Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's May the 19th, 2023. The Orioles are 28-16 and 16 after losing 6-5 in the series finale to the Los Angeles Angels. And you know what? Uh, that was a really stupid game. I'm really annoyed that I sat through and watched the whole thing. A whole lot of dumb stuff happened. Sometimes there are dumb games where I get to get it out of my system by writing the recap for the game on Camden Chat. This one I did not, so... Uh, I'm just going to unload on this podcast because what's the point of having an Orioles podcast if you can't just dump about dumb stuff? So without any further ado, let me just roll right into this vent session. So let's keep in mind that the Angels had a starting pitcher, Tyler Anderson, who had an ERA over five for the season. So the Orioles, as you would hope they could do against a struggling pitcher, they put the first two batters on base, and they also had the bases loaded with one out in the first inning. And then number five hitter came to the plate, and on this particular day, that was catcher James McCann. I wonder why James McCann is hitting fifth. It was really annoying. McCann did nothing good, and the Orioles did not score in that inning. That was annoying. Over the course of the game, uh, Tyler Wells gave up two home runs. Can't get too mad that he gave up a home run to Shohei Otani and also that he gave up a home run to Mike Trout. You know, if you're going to have two players beat you, two Angels players beat you, okay. Um, If those guys get homers in the early innings, that's fine. If they're, you know, you're pitching to them with a base open later in the inning, later in the game, and they beat you, that's annoying. But what was annoying was that Tyler Wells walked Angels uh, player Levon Soto, who was batting 170 in the minors before being called up this year. So, you know, putting him on base, that was annoying. Fast forward a bunch, because as dumb as the game was, the Orioles did keep pulling off comebacks when they were in uh, a couple of different holes. And so that was fun. But then... After they got the comebacks, different dumb things kept happening for them to further blow the game. So, for instance, Mike Bauman, reliever, was pretty bad in the sixth inning, and he really got saved from disaster because there was a slick Gunnar Henderson-Joey Ortiz double play, which probably will not be the last time that is said. Um, Bauman then, after the double play wiped out the leadoff runner he put on base, issued a walk to 222 hitter Luis Renjifo. Renjifo then stole second base, and glove first rookie Zach Neto got a go-ahead hit, which then had Anthony Santander make what I thought was a pretty horrible throw from right field uh, in a situation where really there was a chance to have that runner be thrown out. But it's dumb that he got walked. It's dumb that a bad throw let him steal second base, and it's dumb that the next hitter got a hit, and it's dumb that Anthony Santander couldn't make a good throw. <sighs> okay, so the Orioles had another lead by the top of the eighth inning, and then that got blown again because Brian Baker was bad in the eighth. He was called upon after finishing the seventh to then try and pitch the full eighth. Nope, he couldn't do it, so they had to bring in Austin Voth, because it seems like uh, on this particular day, Yenier Cano was not available, and the Orioles did not want to call upon Felix Bautista for any more than three outs, which both of which are entirely reasonable decisions to make. It is a marathon, not a sprint. 
We're only in mid-May. Uh, so, you know, other Orioles relievers had to step up today or on Thursday. Of course, I'm recording it on Thursday. It'll be Friday when you listen to this. Uh, they had to step up, and they didn't. Austin both came in. He blew it. Inherited runner scored. So that was no good. And then after we had uh, we had Danny Colome did not cover first base after Ryan Mountcastle made a diving stop that turned into the Angels' go-ahead run. It was really a nice play by Mountcastle, which has been rare for him at first base this season, I feel. And Colome, his windup does lead to him falling off to the third base side heavily, which is always a risk for a lefty pitcher. But he just didn't make the quick uh, max effort to get to first base, got beaten to the first base. The go-ahead run scored. Very annoying. In the ninth inning, Adam Frazier got thrown out trying to stretch a single to a double. I think he should have read the ball off the wall and realized he should have stopped at first base. He was already the tying run. Yes, it would have been nice to have the tying run get into scoring position, but he didn't. Uh, He got thrown out. So, you know, that was annoying. He would have been on first base. Uh, Cedric Mullins hit a ground rule double. So there would have been second and third with one out. There would have been instead... Ryan Mountcastle stared at strike three to end the game. So the Orioles lost. They are now 7-6 and six through the first 13 games of the 22-game stretch against above 500 teams. Okay, it could be worse. Uh, it could be better. That's the way it goes. So now that I've gotten all those, let me just go through them all in order in a little bit more detail. Okay, Number one, James McCann. I was annoyed he was batting fifth today. I I get annoyed every time he's the designated hitter. He's been the DH for five games so far this season. It's not that many, but it's still annoying. You know, I get that there's got to be a veteran catcher on the team. Well, there doesn't have to be, but that's the choice that the Orioles have made. They kind of went out of their way to uh, acquire him from the Mets this offseason. They Mets were willing to eat a bunch of salary, and I guess that made uh, made it an attractive trade for the Orioles. In addition, they didn't have to give up any kind of significant prospect at all. So, fine. I don't know why he's the DH. I don't know why he batted fifth. Although, if you can believe it or not, uh, I, I looked, and James McCann is actually kind of in the Ryan Mountcastle quote-unquote bad luck range. He's got a StatCast expected batting average of 277 and expected slugging percentage of 511. So, you know what? Those are both pretty darn good in his limited action, but his actual batting average is 190 and his actual slugging percentage is 328. So, that's not so good. I don't know. I, I, uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm, I'm never going to feel good when he's in the heart of the order or when he's the designated hitter. I hope that the Orioles kind of make some better decisions going forward. Okay. Number two, Tyler Wells. Obviously he is not one of the problem players on the Orioles this year, which one way we know this is because he brought a 0.723 whip into the Thursday start against the Angels. I think it's, Not unfair to Wells to say there's no way that was ever going to last, Um, in part because he has a 4.50 fielding independent pitching. And, 
it's just he it, it's un, it was unlikely that he was going to continue carrying a sub one whip, and so he's probably due for some more luck to even out. He's now got a two point nine four ERA on the season, still pretty darn good. I think it's maybe going to quickly. Well, it's going to end up going north of that. I'll just say I, I think that's a safe prediction. Uh, one reason that is a safe prediction is because Wells has really had problems with home runs this year. He's now allowed 10 in so far this season. Basically, like one in every three hits that he gives up has been a home run. That's tough. Uh, we'll see if that kind of gets improved as the season goes along. I don't know. If, if it doesn't, his ERA is going to keep creeping up. And, you know, if he ends up in the high threes or 4.0 range in the 2022 se- or 2023 season, that's still pretty good, but it is going to be a problem for the Orioles because they, at the moment, have some problems in their bullpen, which is number three, the bullpen in general. It's it's just going to be asking a lot of other relievers when Yenier Cano is unavailable, and Bautista probably unavailable due to pitching the day before, so they had him limited to the ninth. I think we certainly would have seen him in the ninth. I think it was fair to not bring him into a uh, trouble situation in the eighth. And so other guys needed to step up, and they didn't, because number four, Mike Bauman, he has battled command problems this season. He came into Thursday's game with a 4.5 walks per nine innings. That's a problem. It's a problem when you walk the 222 hitter. And Bauman, in particular, he had a 1.15 ERA in April, and now in the month of May, he has a 9 ERA. So maybe that's the ups and downs that you're going to get with a reliever within a season, or maybe it's Bauman turning into a pumpkin. I don't know. I'm feeling a little pessimistic right now, so I feel like maybe he's heading into pumpkin territory. We found out before Thursday's game that Michael Givens is probably going to travel with the team to Toronto and could be active, uh, activated over the three-game series this weekend. Mike Bauman has options remaining. I think that we might find that Bauman is going to be sent down to Norfolk as Givens is activated. And you know what? With how he looked on Thursday, I'm not going to have any complaints about that. I'm going to take a deep breath while I play a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Okay, so I'm not through the list yet, so let's just keep on going. Number five, Brian Baker. He's also got command problems in the 2023 season. A 4.9 walks per nine innings before Thursday's game. His problem is he walked the glove-first rookie, Zach Neto. I don't know. Maybe it was just a bad day for Brian Baker. He came into the game with a 1.77 ERA, a 2.52 FIP. He's probably going to have those numbers go up because, you know, Brian Baker was not going to be the 1.77 ERA guy all year. I think that was always too much to ask if he creeps up to like the high twos range. That's plenty fine to have if he's like your seventh or sometimes sixth inning guy. Just didn't have it on Thursday. Okay, fine. That's life. It's annoying. Not every reliever can be Yenier Cano with the zero ERA. And sometimes when they give up runs, it's going to come in bad situations, which is next on the list. What is this? Number six. I've already lost count. There were so many. Good Lord. Austin Voth. Okay. Voth, 
he had held batters to a 464 OPS over the last 28 days before Thursday. All right, that's fine, but it was annoying that Baker struggled and both had to come in to uh, come into that game, and then he allowed the go-ahead run to score because it was the number nine hitter. It's it's annoying. Both has really settled down. Um, excuse me, that wasn't the go-ahead run. That was the tying run. It's, there were so many dumb things. Both, of course, he gave up home runs in his first five appearances this year. He's settled down a bit, although both of his April and May ERAs are in the high fours range, which that's not a reliever you can count. That's a guy you're maybe hoping is like your long reliever, but the Orioles aren't using him that way. So I don't know, whatever. Both, uh, it was dumb that he had to pitch, and it was dumb that he then uh, blew the game. Well, contributed to blowing the game, because actually the guy who blew the game was number seven, Danny Colomb, and there was probably a reason why he was available basically for free at the end of spring training. Colomb, he just needed to cover first base. I don't know why he didn't cover first base. It, if he had at least been closer to first base and it was just like, fine, the lefty Shohei Otani beat him to the bag when he was trying to run hard to first base. Okay, that's life. But he wasn't running hard to first base. He didn't break for first base immediately. It's so stupid. All right, so Danny Colomb, he had a 0.84 ERA in April, now has a 5.33 ERA in May. The thing about him, he entered Thursday's game with lefty batters having an OPS against of 381, which is pretty freaking awesome, but right-handed batters against had an OPS of 877, which is pretty freaking bad. So that's really tough to uh, figure out how to manage that guy in the three-batter minimum age because if he ever faces a righty, that's tough. And as it turned out, he was facing the lefty he should have been facing, and then he just didn't cover first base. So, okay, fine. Next, number eight, Adam Frazier. I... Okay, Adam Frazier, you know what? He's probably doing about as good as could be hoped. After Thursday's game, he's batting 228 with a 324 on base percentage. That's the good thing. He's really got a decent walk rate. 362 slugging percentage. That's actually not horrible power at all for a guy who's not a very good hitter. Um, he's making contact as he was advertised. He doesn't strike out very often. So a lot of times we've seen he makes contact, puts the ball in play, and something good happens. Uh, he put the ball in play. He got a hit. It was just really stupid that the play was in front of him. He had the read on it. He should have seen that the ball took a bounce off the wall towards right fielder uh, Hunter Renfro, and he should have stopped. He didn't stop. Maybe it didn't matter. Cedric Mullins hit a ground rule double. It would have been second and third. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that infield prospect Jordan Westberg has 12 home runs and a 1.010 OPS for the AAA Norfolk Tides. So there's not really many excuses to be made when Frazier is making stupid decisions for things that are in his control. If he's just not a good hitter and okay defender, or maybe even a good defender, all right, I'd still be mystified by the process of signing him. I think I would have rather just seen the Orioles let a prospect rip out of the gate on spring training. They decided to go for a veteran, whatever. But, uh, you know, he's not hitting. 
And then when he does dumb stuff, when he does actually get a hit, that's pretty darn frustrating. And that brings us to our final dumb, annoying thing. Ryan Mountcastle. Okay, he leads the team in home runs. He's still getting the stat cast bad luck. He's got a 97th percentile expected slugging percentage. He's hitting the ball well. He's just not getting the results for it. But he does have a 272 on base percentage. He's getting poor marks for his defense at first base. He's in the ninth percentile. That is 09 percentile uh, for defense at first base. I think a first baseman slash designated hitter with a 742 OPS, which is what Mountcastle has right now. That's probably not going to cut it for long if the team is going to continue to have pretensions towards being a consistently good baseball team. So I don't know what the solution to Ryan Mountcastle is. There's not an immediate answer. Well, unless you want to say the answer is start having Anthony Santander play first base more, which we have seen him do a couple of games this week. Mountcastle maybe plays less. Um, Mountcastle DHs, whatever. And then you have Colton Kowser, who also has an OPS over 1,000 for Norfolk so far this season. But Kowser uh, was reported on Thursday to be day-to-day nursing a sore quad. So hopefully that does not uh, blow up into anything more severe than what it is because, you know, it would be nice. It would be nice to see him in Baltimore. If he's got a thousand OPS after six weeks of Norfolk, I think maybe it's time to have him worked into the MLB rotation. uh, Well, the rotation of regular players when, you know, there's guys who are not performing in as well as you would want in the roles that they're currently in. There's room for the prospects when the Orioles decide they want to have him up. Right now, we've only got Joey Ortiz. He made some slick plays. Uh, uh, we've seen him make some slick plays. Uh, the Orioles do have the coming crunch within a couple of weeks if things stay as they're currently saying, where Ramon Urias is going to be back from the injured list. I don't know what they're going to do at that point. That's a problem for 10 days to two weeks from now. Um, I don't know. They're, they're going to have to figure it out. But for now, it was frustrating to see Ryan Mountcastle stare at strike three to end the game. I hope his luck turns around so they don't have to make any hard choices about what to do about Ryan Mountcastle because he just gets the you know 90th percentile slugging that he's uh, expected to have but he's, he's not hitting the X stats. Of course, this is a multi-year thing, so maybe it's not bad luck. Maybe it's just something about he hits the ball really hard in ways that go right at where fielders know to be positioned. That, you know, when that happens, that's not necessarily bad luck. When it's happened um, for a year plus almost two months now, maybe it's not bad luck. I don't know. The, you know, I hope the front office is thinking about uh, in the long run, or really in the medium run, what to do if Mountcastle's quote-unquote luck does not turn. <sighs> okay, so that's really all I've got to say about Thursday's loss. It was really dumb. Next up for the Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays. We have recently seen them in the baseball news this week for being a bunch of whining losers, uh, obliquely accusing Aaron Judge of cheating. Now, I don't have much good to say about Aaron Judge uh, probably he was not cheating. I think if he had been doing that, you know, since he uh, got the American League home run record last year, somebody would have figured that out before now. 
So the Blue Jays, they're whining losers. That does not have a whole lot to do with the coming series against the Orioles, but I just want to emphasize that we know from two years ago when Robbie Ray was on the Blue Jays and he accused the uh, very bad Orioles at that time of stealing signs. Give me a freaking break, man. I guess maybe that kind of whining loser behavior just continues to pervade the organization. So anyway, the Jays, they've got a strong quartet of hitters carrying the team. Vlad Jr., as expected, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, Kevin Kiermeyer. Yes, Kevin Kiermeyer is still plaguing us in the American League East. So the four guys I just named, they entered Thursday's action with 870 OPS or better. Uh, other guys are not carrying the weight as much. So hopefully Orioles pitchers can minimize the damage the four good hitters do and don't get torched as they did on Thursday afternoon by some of the bad hitters in the lineups. The Jays have three starting pitchers with an ERA under four. That includes two who are going to pitch in this series against the Orioles. Yusei Kikuchi, he's 5-0 and on the season, although he has a FIP over five, so maybe the Orioles can start to even that out. Kikuchi has been homer prone. Again, hopefully the Orioles power hitters can take advantage. Former Oriole Kevin Gossman is doing the kind of stuff we always hoped he would be able to do as an Oriole. That never quite happened. Gossman has now struck out 77 batters in 55 innings so far this year. So, you know, what we can hope is the Orioles take two out of three and don't have to worry about winning the uh, the final game in the series to get the sweep because it doesn't seem like with Gossman pitching they're going to be able to do it. It's going to be our first look against the Blue Jays this season. It's always kind of weird when this far into the season passes before you get a division foe. The Orioles, of course, are 6-6 against the American League East so far this year. Their next six games will be against the Jays and then the Yankees. So unless the Orioles split these next six games, which is entirely possible as an outcome, then uh, they're either going to be winning against the East or losing against the East as we head uh, from the end of May and into June. So, you know, I I hope the Orioles can... uh, Win one of the series, at least, and don't get swept in the other. That, that's my goal at this point, I guess. Um, of course, as I said before, we're 7-6 we're and six through the 22-game stretch. There's nine games to go. They only need to go 2-7 and seven over those nine games to hit what I said of the 9-13 and 13 at the beginning of this. Obviously, that would be pretty disappointing. I, uh, I hope from here they can... Um, I hope they can win one series and don't get swept in the other two. So that would set them at four and five in the next nine. And that would set them at 11 and 10, or excuse me, it would set them at 11 and 11 exactly over the 22 game stretch, which you know what, that would be just fine. So I've ran it too much. I don't even really have time to get into a prospect of the episode today. So I'm just going to wrap it up here. If you're enjoying this podcast, Please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will see you back here on Monday morning. Hopefully we have a nice Blue Jays series to talk about rather than another rant episode. Between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on CamdenChat.com or tweet at me at CamdenChat on Twitter. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.